I wasn't allowed to listen to instrumentation. But you want to know what a terrible sins I committed? I was having trouble sleeping in like seventh and eighth grade. My dad was like, sweetie, I want to help you with that. So he got me cassette tapes that have scripture to music on them. He was like, just put your headphones on at night and that'll help you. I was like, thanks, dad. Put them on R. Kelly every night. <laughs> My dad walked by, I would go, sleeping. <laughs> Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Debrief, a weekly Q&A podcast from your friends here at Sandals Church. I am Justin Pardee, returned from... Exile. Oh, yeah, okay, there you go. I was looking for the right <laughs> word. Uh, there you go. That's Pastor Matt over there in the corner, ringing in. And today, uh, we have our good friend, Melody Workman, holding down the uh, female seat today. Do you have anything awesome to say to our uh, listeners? I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, I like that. And her nickname officially is Jersey Shore. Yes. I accept that. <laughs> Jersey Shore. Um, and or Ginger Spice. They work interchangeably. Ginger Spice, depending on the color of my hair. Yes. Right well, now, your don't hair does me. look spicy. I hope that's not a weird thing to say. It was it's slightly not. weird. Okay. But, well, the, but everybody's used to having you back and they're appreciative of your <laughs> slightly if, inappropriate comments. If you're not to begin spicy, what's wrong? The that's, study of God's word. That is true. Man, speaking of me being back, we got some great five star <laughs> reviews coming in uh, over the last couple of weeks. And man, they make me so happy. I'm super excited about this one. Uh, came in on the iTunes store from my man, Chadillac. I, he's not even like my friend or whatever, but how can you say a name like Chadillac and not say my man? Chadillac, dude. Uh, feels like you are part of the group. That's what he said. Oh, Isn't love you, Chadillac. Exactly, dude. Right now, you're sitting here on the sectional next to Pastor Matt, just yes. soaking in the wisdom in our hearts. I am chilling with Chadillac. Exactly. <laughs> dude, you you like that review. You're going to like this one even more, I think. This one comes from Windfish. Yes. Wow. That's like my audible. That's me doing the sound of yeah, wind and then fish. A character from Finding Nemo. Exactly. He says, my wife introduced me to Sandals Church when she lived in Riverside. Fast forward to three happy years of marriage. We're living in Hawaii, listening in the Aloha State. Ooh. Nice. PMB has the awesome ability to explain the word with depth and accuracy a Christian of any age can appreciate, and we are always suggesting to our local friends to listen. We will continue to search for the best chimichanga on the island just for you, Justin. Yes. Mahalo. Mahalo. Mahalo to you, and uh, it's been too long since I've been to my native island of Hawaii. So, Windfish, when you find that chimichanga... Let us know. Me and Pastor Matt will come over there. Uh, we'll test I'll, it out and too. we'll record. Yeah, you can. Uh, we'll see if you make a regular appearance on the show or not. Okay. We'll have to do a live debrief recording from the island of our choice. That'd be. Oh, or man. all of the above. You guys have all never awesome. been. I feel left out. Yeah, it's because you're from I've Jersey Shore. There. I've never been there either. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, not to Hawaii. But you have been to Rubido. Uh, exactly. Yes. <laughs> been, I've been to Mexico. Uh, I've been to some cool places, but not to Hawaii. Yeah. All right, let's get into some follow-up. We got a bunch of follow-up questions. Yes. Uh, did I tell you about my idea? I don't think... I had this idea while I was gone, which is sometimes I have some of the best ideas. Wondering about tightening up the follow-up suggestion. We just call it the letters F and U. We got some F U. <laughs> no. Doesn't work? Okay. Yeah, once again. We'll stick. Back from exile. <laughs> All right. We're going to stick with time for follow-up. All right, this first question comes from Juan. In a recent podcast, you mentioned that if a believer is in blatant, unrepentant sin, that we should alienate ourselves from them, but not to alienate ourselves from non-believers who live sinful lifestyles. Uh, my question is, what do you do when you can't tell if someone is a regenerated believer struggling with past sins, or if they profess to be Christian, but really are not? From yeah, yeah, I think that's a, it's a really difficult thing to figure out. And it's something that you need to not decide on your own, but process in, in the con context of community with mm -hmm. leaders. You know, you don't want to be gossiping, but you want to bring people in your life. Say, hey, here's the situation. What do I do with this person? Mm -hmm. Again, we don't ever have nothing to do with people who don't know Christ who are sinners because that's what they do. They don't mm -hmm. know. And so people never get saved if we just, you know, gather in this holy huddle pretending the world doesn't exist. So here's how I define it. Is this person struggling with sin? So they're coming to me and they're saying, I blew it, I messed up. You know, um, I need help in this area. I, I'm frustrated with my continued choices of sin. That kind of person I'm gonna work with because they're a sinner just like me. They're a struggler just like me. But if I have a person who says what I'm doing that the Bible says is clearly sin is not sin. I don't care what you think. God's okay with this. When that person is saying that clearly evil is good and good is evil, then I have to say, you know what? We, we can't be in fellowship right now. We can't be in relationship. I'm here for you when you're ready to repent and you wanna get your life right. I love you. I'll continue to pray for you. But when somebody says, I don't care what God thinks, I care what I think. I don't care what the church says. I'm gonna do what I think. 
in that instance, we got to let them go. And mm-hmm. again, it's not harsh. It's not judgmental. We don't lack mercy. But what we do is we just say, look, I'm going to give my attention to somebody who wants to grow. And here's the issue. There are literally thousands of people who want to be discipled, who want to be poured into. Yeah. And so why should in we our waste church. our time with people who are like, I don't agree with this. Right. You know, you can't disciple somebody who, you know, doesn't want to be discipled and doesn't want to follow. And so pray for them and love them from a distance and find somebody else that your time will be, you know, rewarded with a changed life and a saved soul. That, that's, that's where I want to spend my life. Yeah. It sounded like you said brokenness is kind of a key identifier of if they're really truly a repentant person struggling. Yeah, and brokenness is a sign of sorrow. I mean, and, and sorrow is a part of repentance. It's not all because repentance is sorrow that leads to change. So I'm sorry that I did this and I want to change and I'm going to turn from this because sometimes we're sorry that we just get caught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not sorry that I did it. And that's what you're really looking for is, man, I'm really, I'm, I really wish that I, I wouldn't have done this and uh, I want to change my life. And so I think brokenness is the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. And we need to look for that in everything. It's how you can tell when people are truly sorry in your marriage, in friendships, you know, is there brokenness? Is there true remorse um, for what they've done? And man, when that's there, the Bible says we have to forgive mm-hmm. and move on. Mm-hmm. Juan, um, Pastor Matt had a lot of really good uh information and advice for you there, but I want to make sure you don't miss that first thing he said, which was, this is not a decision to make alone. I uh, really want to encourage you, if you're not plugged into one of our groups, um, obviously we're making a big deal about community groups at Sandals Church right now. So if you want to start one of those or find one, if you're not plugged in, just go to sandalschurch.com slash groups. This is literally, the, these are literally the kinds of decisions and questions right. we ask in our groups every single week. So good stuff. All right, we got another question yep. from Raylene. Yeah, this is from Raylene. She said, I've heard- Hold you- on really quick. Can yeah. can you sing Raylene, Raylene? I know it's Jolene, but- Oh, yeah. by the way, Jolene. I sang Donna two weeks ago terribly and someone it. on Twitter sent me the song. So I, met Donna, I met Donna in church this last weekend. Yeah. She was excited. Sorry, I slaughtered that song, Donna. It's Appreciate it's your right. question. Can you just sing Raylene? You're born in Nashville. Hit us with a little Dolly Parton. Okay, I don't even know who Raylene is. Yeah, it's Jolene. Well, yeah, exactly, Jolene. but Raylene. Raylene. Really? Exactly. Beautiful. So good. Okay. We can See, move she on. She sounds so much better. Probably going to be our last time ever on the show because she just upstaged me singing. <laughs> All right. True. Well, you answer these questions like a boss. So Thank you. you I've go. heard you reference multiple times. <laughs> Thank you. That the book of Acts is about the birth of the church. I have Catholic friends and family that say the Catholic church is the original church. So how do I respond to them? Yeah, absolutely. That's what Catholics always say. And certainly they are uh, one of the oldest continual churches. And so, you know, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. And again, I pray for revival in the Catholic church. And I pray that people would get saved all Mm -hmm. over the world because the truth is we cannot evangelize the world without a revival in the Catholic church. You know, to set aside a billion followers of Jesus would be foolish. And that's who they are. And so I love my Catholic brothers and sisters in Christ. But here's the bottom line. It's not about who is first. It's about who's obedient to what God's called. And so we can argue about who's the oldest. Here's the reality. The church is birthed in Jerusalem, not Rome. There was tension from very early on whether or not Rome was to be the center of Christianity or was it Jerusalem? We're gonna be talking a lot about Antioch today. And a lot of people don't realize this, but the center of Christianity for a couple hundred years will be Antioch where we are today, not Rome. Then it's gonna shift from Rome to a city called Constantinople. That's the center of Christianity, Mm. not Rome, Mm -hmm. once again. Also, there were other cities that were um, just as important and just as influential. Alexandria in Egypt, not Rome. And so for the Roman church, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, Catholic means universal, Roman is the designation. So, you know, there's the universal church, which obviously Sandals is a part of. So we're all Catholic in in that understanding. We're part of the universal church, the big church. But the Holy Roman Catholic Church really begins to exert, you know, its influence as there becomes a conflict between Rome and Constantinople. And eventually those movements split into what is known as the Holy Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, which mm-hmm. means the true church. And so for the, for the Romans to say, you know, for the Catholics to say that they're the oldest church is really to ignore the reality that the Orthodox have been there just as long. And so, you know, love my Catholic brothers and sisters. You're not the oldest. I mean, all of us tie our faith back to Jesus Christ. All of us tie our faith back to the birth of the church, to Pentecost. Um, And we can argue about leadership and apostolic succession and all of that. But the reality is we all need to be obedient to Jesus. We all need to tell people about Christ. And what I would just say is, man, if it make your Catholic friends better to say that they're the oldest, fine. What are you doing about that? Yeah. What are you doing about, how are you winning the world of Christ? Um, how How are you discipling people and telling them about Jesus? How are you changing lives? How are you helping um, 
you know, to further the gospel all over the world. And, and when Catholics can get focused on that, man, I think the world is gonna be a much better place because, um, you know, a lot of Catholic theology is, you know, like Sandals theology, mm-hmm. they just have 2000 years of religious practice mm-hmm. that's very, very different. Right. And so here's the challenge of the Catholic church is they are performing worship services the way they have for a thousand years, not the way they did in the early church, it's different. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I'd say is, yeah, you may be the oldest, but you changed about a thousand years ago and you created a liturgy and a system of worship that was largely uh, to be communicated to uneducated, illiterate people. And that's how the Catholic church mass worked. Mm-hmm. For example, a lot of Catholics don't know this, but it was really about 40 years ago when the Catholic church finally stopped communicating mass in Latin. Can you imagine how unhelpful that would be? You would go to church, right? You know, you're, you know, you're from Santa Ana, you know, here you are, you know, this Mexican immigrant to the United States and you're listening to worship in Latin. That mm-hmm. is not helpful. And, um, and that's because the Catholic church has been slow to change. They have made some changes and, uh, and some of those are great, but um, all of us, you know, like I said this week, struggle with, you know, our religious, um, past really keeping us from what, what God wants to do. And that's what Sandals is committed to. The only thing that can't change is the gospel. The gospel remains the same forever. How we communicate that, how we teach it, how we disciple, all of those change as culture changes. Mm-hmm. So great question. Again, love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I would say, you know, that's probably the largest uh, religious background represented at Sandals today. Mm-hmm. I mean, this weekend when I said, how many of you are Catholic or Lutheran or Baptist or Calvary Chapel? Overwhelmingly. I mean, I would say probably four to five times as many hands went up that, hey, they they grew up Catholic. And so that's great. The seed of Christ has been planted in them. They have an understanding of the Trinitarian God. They have an understanding of salvation by grace. And so I am thankful mm-hmm. for their Catholic heritage. But what I wanna see is, I wanna see them repent of their sins, place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and become a student of the word. Start studying the word of God and be obedient to what God has called you to do, mm-hmm. not what your religious tradition is telling you to do. And so, um, because, you know, that's what's important. What does the word of God say? So great question. Yeah. Yeah. And interestingly enough, you and I both just got back from India and it's, as you travel around that country, every once in a while, you'll see something explicitly Christian. And that's almost always Catholic, little small Catholic churches that have been there for a really, really long time. And that's the only representation of Christ in the... that country. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, okay. So you've just been talking about this whole idea of flexibility and tradition and those kinds of things, which uh, a lot of your message was about this weekend. And we got a great question from Daniel about that. Yeah. Daniel says, how do we know the difference between flexibility and compromise? There are clearly religious practices that are not of the Holy spirit. He says, barking like a dog in church may fall into that category. So how do we better determine if we're being inflexible and when we are being discerning? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think that the number one way to evaluate whether you're being flexible or discerning is you have to evaluate your own personality. All of our personalities are going to be comfortable with certain things. Mm. There are some people in our church that are completely uncomfortable with raising their hands. I kid you not. They are uncomfortable lifting their hands in worship. That's a personality thing. That's not a movement of the spirit. There's actually a Bible verse that commands men to lift their hands in worship and lift their hands in prayer. And so, okay, so this makes me uncomfortable. This is too expressive for me. Um, like for example, Justin, you grew up in the Church of Christ mm-hmm. where, you know, extremely, extremely conservative worship, right? right? Did they raise their hands? Uh, no, no, no. We no. didn't have music or anything. We sang words. and stare. Yes, sang words. That was what we <laughs> yeah. did. Now, what about in your tradition? Did they raise hands? Well, my first church did because we were very ethnically diverse. But then as I moved on, progressed, it was less and less. Yeah. And so that, that that's what amazing is. It's so much about religious practice really is about preference, not theology. What yeah. are you comfortable with? And so- uh, the church that I went to when I was going through depression, very, very charismatic. Um, and you've asked me several times, it means really expressive, mm-hmm. wild, uh, more loose, like in the way that they they worship and sing and mm-hmm. people run around, wave flags. Yep. It's just a very, very expressive. How did you do with that, your ADD? It kills me. I mean, that's why I would make a terrible charismatic because I'm so, <laughs> I, I, would, I would not be worshiping at all. I would just be watching the people flip out and run around, you know? And I, you know, I don't know. Or I would grab a flag and just jump in Go. and be like, Wah! look at me. Um, <laughs> You know, the bottom line is God can move in the midst of our stupidity. And so, and I don't know what was going on in the life of that woman. I don't know what was happening. It was bizarre. I talked, I'm friends with the pastor now of that church. And he's like, yeah, we got weirdos at our church. And the truth is same at Sandals, you know, don't hold me accountable for, you know, every idiotic thing somebody at Sandals says or does, mm-hmm. because that's not a reflection of me or the, the, the attitude of our church. 
um, or even the theology of our church. So um, I think what we need to do is we need to pray. The Bible says, test the spirits, pray and say, God, is this of you? And so I would say two questions, God, is this of you? And are you trying to stretch me? Mm. God, do you want me to open up to what it is that you wanna do? And if it is, I'm going to embrace this. Now, obviously there are, I mean, there are lines. You know, if somebody wants to pray in a name other than Jesus or, or wants to, you know, uh, create a spiritual experience. Like for example, I read this article, I kid you not, Quakers, a great Christian movement in our nation and they've gone South. I mean, I love my Quaker brothers and sisters, but you guys have gone nuts, nuts. And literally on the cover of the Quaker monthly magazine, it was integrating Wicca and Christianity. Wow. And the whole article was on, if you don't know what Wicca is, it's it's kind of a... Um, a newer name for this ancient idea of witchcraft. And it was this woman talking about her struggle of integrating her witchcraft faith with Jesus. And I'm like, those two things can't go together. They're mm-hmm. oil and water, yeah. they don't mix. And so that's not an issue of me uh, being inflexible. The Bible says, don't practice that, don't participate in that. And what's amazing is my Quaker brothers and sisters can't just sit down with her and say, there's a reason you're struggling putting these two things together because mm-hmm. they don't go together. Yeah, you know. It's, it's, it's like a Christian saying, yeah, I'm really trying to get more comfortable with sin. Well, there's a reason you're uncomfortable with sin because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And when you sin, you're grieving the spirit of God. They don't go together. So there are some things you know, where, we, where we have to have boundaries and, and, and not every religion is the same and not every spiritual experience is the same. We need to test the spirits. But my point is at Sandals Church, and this is the point I was trying to make. We have people that come from Lutheran backgrounds or Catholic backgrounds, and you need to ask yourself this question. Is God present at Sandals Church? If, you, if the answer is no, find another church, mm. go somewhere else. You need to listen to the spirit of God. If you believe the spirit of God is present at Sandals Church, which obviously I believe the spirit of God is present at Sandals Church, say, okay, I'm gonna try to be as flexible as I possibly can. You know, worship is dark. You know, if you're at our Woodcrest campus, you meet in a gym, that's really uncomfortable for some other people. Uh, if you're at our East Valley campus, maybe it's a little smaller than used to, it's a little darker than mm-hmm. you're used to. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow this to happen, you know, I mean, is I think watching uh, a sermon on the screen, I think that's an issue of flexibility. I don't yeah. think it's an issue of theology. I believe if the apostle Paul could have sent a video, he would have. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a lot Why of would he write a letter? <laughs> he would send a video, you know? Uh, he would have published books. He would have used all kinds of technology and, and he used the kinds of technology that was available to him at that day to further the gospel. And so some people, well, I just could never watch on a screen. And the joke I made was, you know, here we are in a worship center full of 2,500 people. And I would bet 80% of the people aren't watching me. They're staring at the screens. Totally. And, and so, so to say that that's ridiculous, it's just, it's just silly. We, we are a culture that is used to learning and discovering things by screens. Universities have figured this out. Seminaries have figured this out. Mm-hmm. You know, isn't it funny? Education is the last, <laughs> the last yeah. people to realize, hey, people can learn by watching things. <laughs> But uh, you know, you gotta, we gotta love our educated brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're a little slow on, on how to educate us, but it, it, it can work that way. So again, is this a me issue or is this a God issue? And usually we make me issues, God issues. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, go to the scriptures. It's what the Brians do in, in Acts. And we're gonna get there is when they hear the gospel of Christ, they don't go with their opinions. They search the scriptures. Is there something that the scripture says about, like for example, your tradition, you know, they don't have instruments uh, in worship, because in the New Testament, instruments are never mentioned. Right. Well, they don't need to be because they're mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. Right. And God commands us to sing a new song with tambourines and lyres. And you know, if David would have heard of an electric guitar, I'm sure he would have included it, and he would have loved drums. Yeah. So, you know, we got to be careful that we don't make an issue out of something that's not an issue, because so much of worship is boring. Mm-hmm. It's just boring and it puts people, people to sleep. And God doesn't want you to suffer in church. Right. He wants you to celebrate in church. Yeah. And, and that's what I think is important. I think church should be fun because we worship a God who has given us joy and saved us. And we should celebrate what God has done. And that's really what you know the weekend service are about, celebrating. Wow, I talked a long time about that. Well, it's good stuff. And that I know I good. sound like I am banging on the same drum here, but your community, Can't, your wait, friends, can you bang on a drum? Because you grew up in Church <laughs> yes. of Christ. Well, I've switched. I'm <laughs> okay. here at Sandals. Okay. I probably shouldn't bang on a drum because yeah. I would just be pounding it. Um, I do have rhythm. That's what I. That's the one thing I have. But listen, uh, these types of conversations are so great to have in community groups about sharing, even specifically things about Sandals Church that yeah. might be bugging you or might be hard for you or whatever. It's so great to hear people having conversations about. This is maybe not my preference about being at Sandals, but I. 
God is um, moving in our hearts and we want to be here in spite of that stuff. Right. So. And, and let me say this, not everything at Sandals is my preference. Right. Not every song is my favorite song. I not try. everything we do is, yeah. you know, my, my favorite way. It's not about me. You know, now what I care about is, you know, don't make it lame. Like if it's lame, then, you know, we're going to have to talk. But, you know, people like things and people experience things that are different from me. It's not all about me. It's about people connecting with Jesus. And that's what we got to remain rigid on. And um, that's what's important. Yeah. Um, okay, one last follow-up question. And this one comes from somebody I, I really respect. It's actually from me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, I was so surprised. I was out the last two episodes and we went through Acts chapter 10. I was kind of surprised nobody asked about this because in Acts chapter 10, we hear about Cornelius uh, responding to the faith and Peter goes there and he and I guess his whole household kind of get baptized. Um, and anytime I hear somebody talking about or making a case for infant baptism, I frequently hear them cite this uh, example and story from Acts chapter 10 as kind of a model. And I don't necessarily see that when I read Acts chapter 10 again last week. Am I missing something there? Yeah, well, so the understanding is it says, you know, that all of Cornelius's household was saved. Mm -hmm. So the thinking is if there were infants, if there were young children present, that they would have been saved. Mm -hmm. And um, so that is the argument for baptizing children at the beginning because they're, they're saved in that process. Well, here's the problem. It doesn't tell us, you know, um, how old Cornelius's children were, you know, what exactly happened. It doesn't tell us, you know, that, that the children were baptized. It's silent on that issue and we don't know. So people who use this article as infant baptism really are making an argument from silence. This is what I would say the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches that baptism is something that occurs following a person's decision to repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so um, I, I understand you know, why historically the church has argued so passionately about this, because the reality is for most of human history, lots of children died at childbirth or soon thereafter. Mm. You know, a, a child, children are born very, very frail. We're very blessed to live in a society now where children survive. That's a normal thing. Like we're so all true. shocked and surprised when an infant dies during childbirth or, yeah. you know, soon thereafter. But that's, that's the normative behavior. Like I'll give you an example. Um, I just celebrated my grandma and grandpa's 70th wedding anniversary. And I was sitting down with my grandma and I was talking about all her family. And she says, she's like, yeah, I had uh, uh, 12 brothers and sisters. And she says, Whoa. well, I had 13, but we really don't count him because he didn't live long. <laughs> right, right? Can you imagine somebody saying that nowadays? You don't count a sibling because they didn't live long. <laughs> That's and so w why is that? Because wow. even, even, you know, 90 or 80, 85 years ago, children died on a regular basis yeah. and mm -hmm. families expected that. Sure, you know, they were sad, but it was normal. And so, you know, when you believe that only people that are baptized are saved, which we don't believe that at Sandals Church because mm -hmm. like the thief on the cross wasn't baptized yeah. and he is still saved. Jesus promises that. But when the church believes that you're saved through baptism, what do you do with that infant? What do you do with that baby? Yeah. If you believe what's holding them back from salvation is baptism, so they started baptizing babies. Mm. And, and it became a part of the practice of the church. And so, um, you know, what we believe is, man, you know, those children are in the hands of God. They have not reached an age of accountability. And, and that's what we believe. You know, God is just, God is merciful. God is good. Mm -hmm. Why are we worried about what's going to happen to infant children who died, you know, um, without an opportunity to repent? Trust, trust those children in the hands of God and, and trust that God is good and Christ is going to do the right thing. Um, we don't, I don't have any fear with that. And so I just think that Acts 10 is a great example of the power of the gospel. It's not a great example of a reason for, you know, mm -hmm. um, baptizing infants. Cool. Well, we love uh, getting all these follow-up questions. This is super good. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 11 here. But listen, if you've got questions about any of the past uh, readings or episodes or whatever, please send in your questions. You can do that at sandalschurch.com slash the debrief, or we love it. If you look us up on Facebook, you can send a message directly to the debrief on our Facebook page. Uh, either way, we'll do our best to get those on the show. And who knows, you might even have some questions about Acts chapter 11 as uh, we jump into that right now. So um, we've got a question right off the bat from verses one through three. Let me read those. Uh, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of the Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. 
Yeah, so Rick says, God gave Moses a list of clean and unclean foods to share with the Israelites in Leviticus. Why now in Acts 10 is he now changing these things to be acceptable to eat? To this day, there's still some Seventh-day Adventists who obey those Old Testament food laws. Yeah, absolutely. So what is God trying to do in the Old Testament? He's trying to build a people and a culture. And he's trying to teach them that they must be separate and they must be different from the cultures around them. And so part of the ways... You know, I mean, what are the three ways that, that God challenges them to love him? He challenges them with the way that they have sex, right? Don't mm-hmm. have sex the way the pagans do. So sex looks very, very different from the way the world has it. So what, what's another major desire that we have? Food. The way you eat will look very, very different from the world around you. And then the way you work. So they have to rest on the Sabbath day, right? So if you want to make as much money as you possibly can, you would work every day that you can. God yeah. says, no, 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 no. Six days you shall work, one day you shall rest. And so these are the rhythms of culture. So what a lot of people don't realize is the people of Israel have been in Egypt for 400 years. So practically, what are they? They're mm-hmm. Egyptians. Yeah. Yeah. They think like Egyptians, they live like Egyptians. They may be Jews, but the reality is just like, you know, our families that have immigrated to the United States from other countries. You know, my family has Italian roots. We're not Italian. Yeah. We're American in the way that we think, act, and feel. And that's only after you know immigrating here for 150 years. So imagine how Italian my family's gonna be 300 years from now. Yeah. Probably not at all. Right. And so that's what happens. And so Moses is building what it means to be a Jew based upon the way you have sex, uh, or not the way, but how you have sex, how you eat, and how you work. And these are the rhythms of culture. These are the rhythms of life. And so he's teaching these things. This is what it means to be a follower of God. You must be different. However, what the Jews discovered through the process of ritualistic religion, following all these laws, all these teachings, and you got to understand there was even more than you know what God gave. They continued to expand these laws and they got more and more rigid mm-hmm. and they got more and more specific of what you could do and couldn't do. And ultimately that didn't affect their heart at all. And so what Judaism teaches us, no matter how much we change the outside of our life, it does not impact the inside. And so what God ultimately wants to change in us is the inside of us. And so now God is saying, look, what's important, uh, you know, is that these Gentiles would be saved, that these Gentiles would understand the gospel. And so here's why this is so important is dietary restrictions restrict the people that we can encounter and share the gospel with. Mm -hmm. And what matters more to God, the food we eat or the people that we need to save. And God's ultimate passion has always been to save the world, to redeem the world. And so now what he's simply doing is refocusing them and, and here's where I think they missed it. And I think Paul's clear about this. So for example, Paul has two disciples. He has Timothy, who um, comes from a Greek background. He has Titus, hopefully I'm not flipping these, that comes from a, a Jewish background. One way or the other, he has one of them circumcised mm-hmm. and one of them not circumcised. And so here's, I think where the church missed, missed it is Jews. Man, you can remain Jews and do that, but don't put that expectation on Gentiles. Let Gentiles be culturally Gentiles. Mm. What's most important in other cultures is that Christ is the center of their culture and they figure out what that looks like within the context of their culture. Um, so some things in culture have to bow to Christ, you know, and they're gonna solve that for us in Acts 15. They're gonna give us some parameters for that and say, look, okay, you can't do these things because mm-hmm. um, this is gonna flip people out. But what we need to figure out is, okay, what part of the law of Moses do we need to submit to uh, as we learn to follow Christ? Because um, you know the laws were a shadow of things to come. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they weren't true. It's just that they were pointing us to a greater truth. And so, um, you know, Seventh-day Adventists, all of these religions that say they they pick some, they don't pick them all. They, they, they pick and they choose mm-hmm. and, and they try to decide. And Man, and then it's in the case of Seventh Day of Venice and, and love them, pray for them, but they even go even further on some things like they restrict meat. Right. It's bizarre. Um, that is not a command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they've gone even further than what the Jewish law thinks and teaches. But a great passage to go to is Colossians chapter two, where Paul clearly talks about what the gospel has done in our lives. And he says, don't let people make you feel guilty for what you eat or don't eat, the days you worship or don't worship, the things that you celebrate or don't celebrate. What's important is Christ has redeemed you. Christ has transferred you. Christ has changed you. And so that's what makes these things so dangerous is really what it becomes is accept Jesus your Christ and, and that and is dangerous, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, that and means that the cross is too small, that the blood of Christ was not worth what it was worth. We fall on 
uh, the blood of Christ because he redeemed us and he saved us. And we don't have to do anything else to please God than repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is it. Now we have to figure out what that looks like in our lives, but to be saved, those are the only things that we must do. We don't have to keep religious rules and you don't have to become Jewish. You don't, okay? Enjoy that lobster and, and bless it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You don't have to bless do that. It in the name of Put butter. that cheese on mm-hmm. that cheeseburger. It's fine. You don't have to do that. But we don't also don't have to ridicule Jews. You know, we, we should make Jews feel bad because yeah. they want to live their lives that way. Let, let them not have pepperoni on their pizza. Preach Christ. Don't let our freedom become, you know, their barrier. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it works both ways. So good stuff. Okay. So, um, Starting in verse four, Peter's now back in, or back in Jerusalem and he's sharing with the leaders of the church everything that happened. And it says, then Peter told them exactly what happened. And then it goes on for like nine or 10 verses, a couple paragraphs here, really just repeating everything we just read in Acts chapter 10. And when I think about Luke being the kind of historian uh, journalist writing all this stuff down, it just really stuck out to me that Luke basically shares all these same details back to back over and over again, instead of just saying, so he told them what happened. Right. Is, there, is there a reason that he does it like that? Yeah, absolutely. Because this is, this is probably the most important chapter in the book of Acts. I mean, mm-hmm. this is where the church begins to pivot and change and accomplish the great commission of Christ to go ye therefore into all nations. I mean, if, this, if Acts 10 and 11 and 12 don't happen, you and I are not saved. And so, you know, Luke devotes 66 verses between chapters, um, you know, 10 and 11, telling this story about what took place. This is absolutely important. And what's important is how profoundly God spoke to Peter. Mm. Take and eat three times, three times. You must change the way you think. Why? Because you're never gonna reach the Gentiles if you remain culturally a Jew. Because what happened around the world, and this is what churches do, we've done the same stupid thing, Mm. is we create these little holy huddles around the world and we say, all you non-God fears, come join us. Yep. When what God has called us to do is go join them. Yeah. And this is why the gospel will never go forward. There will never be billions of people who believe in Christ if the gospel is come be Jewish. Mm-hmm. Come be Jewish like Jesus. Here's the gospel. Jesus became human like you. Yeah. The gospel is God coming to us, not us having to become a Jew like him. And that's what's so profound here. And so Peter says, this is what God said to me. And not only did God say this to me, but he validated it by the Holy Spirit following on these Gentiles, just like he fell on me. The Holy Spirit came down. They prophesied and spoke in tongues. It was amazing. It was just like what happened to us. And what Peter says is, I love the verse, who was I mm. to stand in the way of God? And here's what's so sad. Religions do this all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We love standing in the way of God because we don't wanna change our culture. We don't wanna change the way we do things. You know, um, you know. I, I think about my own culture. I grew up Baptists and Baptists vote on everything. Me too. You, they vote on everything. And they, they think that's the only way. It's really, really weird. Like we fell in love with the American way and we created, I'm not kidding. Yeah. We created like mini Washington DCs and all these churches where everybody has a vote. And, and, and that's great when your church is 50 or 60 people. Mm-hmm. But you know what it's done? It's limited the size of Baptist churches all throughout because they have made something of preference, their religious tradition. And they literally, they literally, I mean, if you read in the Baptist faith and message, it says, we believe that God works congregationally. Mm-hmm. Really? Because when I look at the book of Acts, he, he works through leadership. Mm-hmm. He works through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now that's not to say that, you know, they're wrong. It's just, they've limited their growth. And at Sandals Church, we used to vote on stuff. And I learned real quickly, this is not going to work. I think you you had been a part of some of those yes. crazy meetings yep. where we had non-tithing people, you know, telling us how to spend our money. What what is that about? <laughs> I mean, can you believe that people who don't give any money at all giving speeches and I knew who gave, yeah. giving speeches about how we should spend the money and I'm like, okay, this is a dysfunctional way to lead a church. And so we changed our leadership style just like they did in Acts 6 so that the church could continue to grow. Why? What's most important? not the way you run your church politically. What's most important is reaching as many people for Christ as possible. That's the most important thing. And so that's what we see here is Peter says, we got to get Judaism out of the way because it's going to serve as a roadblock for the world getting saved. And you know, what's amazing is he realized he was the roadblock. No, Lord, I have never done this. And God says three times, 
Peter, take and eat. Kill it. Bloody your hands and kill it, right? I mean, that's pretty graphic. Yeah. And, and you will do this for me. And what's amazing is the dream wasn't enough. Visitors have to come. And oh, by the way, he preaches a sermon and the Holy Spirit falls. I mean, God is like all over this thing. Right. And so this is a pivotal story for Christians of all time to understand we don't have to be Jewish. Now we don't get to be immoral and they're gonna settle that in Acts 15. And I don't wanna jump ahead because there's some things we, we can't do. And, and sexual morality still fits into that. There's, some, there's a couple of things that, you know, God has compassion on the Jews. He's like, don't drive them crazy. Yeah. You know, don't eat, you know, food sacrificed to idols. So you can't, you can't ask, you know, uh, Vishnu to bless it and, and, <laughs> yeah. then, and then serve it at your table. And Vishnu is a Hindu God, right? You, you've got you've to be a little careful with right. stuff like that. So. Well, so Paul, Peter has this vision. Right. All these animals tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. By the way, loved your rattlesnake story. Yes, again. it was disgusting. Yeah. I did not love that story. We have a pet snake and I think if I was starving, I wouldn't uh, kill it and eat it. Snakes are gross looking. Yeah. I mean, we have snake people in our church, love you. Yeah, I don't get it. I'm one of them. You know what? <laughs> You're a snake person. By marriage. Your husband's a snake person. By marriage, yeah. Yeah. We are one, so I'm a snake person. But I, can, I can't even keep my feet on the I literally have to take my feet off the ground just mm. thinking about snakes right now. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's one move time on. when I was a kid, we were hiking on a trail and I stepped on a snake and it went up my pants. <gasps> yeah. Went up one leg, went up one leg and down the other. You guys, the weirdest can we pause so I can you. go to the bathroom I'm really quick? That, oh my gosh. tickled me. Literally, I was screaming and dancing, like dancing while this snake was up my pants. You, you know, <laughs> it was, oh my gosh. I'll never forget it. Because they want a dark place to hide. Oh, That's why when I get worried about one. our snake getting out, my husband's like, don't worry, he's just going to go in a dark place to hide. Yeah, like our bed. Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Can you imagine putting your feet in the sheets at night and you just no. feel that cold, no. slimy sensation at the bottom? Of the we have an agreement. If the snake ever got out, the snake has to go, but yeah. it's never gotten out. Thank you. Um, so Lucy says, it's unclear or I missed it. Did Peter actually eat any of the animals or the reptiles that he saw in the vision? No, it was just a vision. That's a great question. Uh, it's just a vision. And so in the dream uh, or trance or vision or whatever it was, what, what, what God's trying to do is not actually get him to kill these things he's seeing, he's get, get, trying to get him to obey. Mm. So you got to do this and you got to do it now. And it just shows you, I think all of us as Christians need to realize how hard it is for God to get us to do stuff. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we're so slow to, to be obedient, you know, so slow to start giving financially to the church. We're so slow to get into a small group. We're so slow to make, you know, worshiping with believers a priority. Mm. I mean, all of us on a regular basis live in direct disobedience to what God has called us to do. And we teach our children to do this, right? We teach our children, soccer's more important. Travel ball's more important. You know, school's more important. I mean, all of these things are more important than God. And we wonder why we get right. the adult children that we get. God blesses obedience. And it, this is just a great verse that shows you how hard it is to be obedient. I mean, what does it got to take? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Peter says no. Yes, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, side note, I was uh, at my Titus's uh, jujitsu yesterday. And one of the dads there, he goes to Sandals Church and he goes, I got Matt's message on Sunday. He said, I'm plugged in and I'm serving this Wednesday night with Real Adventure Team up at Woodcrest. And he's like, uh, awesome. I'm just going to say, where do you guys need me? I thought it was cool. I loved it. That's he heard, awesome. heard the message this weekend. It got through and and uh, what a good example that is for his son too. So, all right. So verses 15 through 18, Peter starts to wrap up the story as he shares everything that happened with Cornelius. And when the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Side note, I, I just love that phrase, the privilege of Amen. repenting. I, I thought that was one of the things that stood out to me this weekend in the message too. We're all, we're all embarrassed to call people to repentance and it is a blessing from God to give you an opportunity to get your life right. Right. It's his grace and your privilege to repent of your sins. We shouldn't apologize for it. People Seriously. need to apologize to God. Oh man, so good. That's, That's really beautiful. So they're all excited. Um, they, they're, they're accepting of what happens there. Seems like a really great reaction. But in last weekend's episode, you mentioned um, what's going to kind of happen here is the church still remains pretty slow reaching out across racial and cultural boundaries uh, to share the gospel. Why is that so difficult? Because I think that if we're all honest, we, we right, coming, coming to Jesus, saying yes to Jesus is saying no to yourself. And I, I don't think that I would like to write a book on that someday if I can ever get the first book written. Um, <laughs> 
I don't think that we fundamentally understand the core principle of Christianity. And it is no to self, no to self, no to self. When you read Romans two, why does God judge the world? It says, because they worship themselves Mm. and they follow their selfish desires and they are full of selfishness, self, 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 self. And that's what's wrong with us as human beings. And so in the church, right? I wanna be with people who are like me. I wanna be with my friends. I wanna be with people like the music that I like. It's all about self. It's all about me, 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 me. And as long as it's about that, it stifles the Holy Spirit, you know? And so um, unfortunately, you know, that's that's just the way that it is. And, you know, uh, Koreans like to worship with Koreans and, and black people like to worship with black people and, you know, uh, Hispanics with Hispanics and white people with white people. And, you know, every now and then there's these beautiful churches where people come together and they're full of people of every race, you know, tongue, tribe, and nation. And that's what heaven's gonna look like. And it's beautiful. And again, it doesn't mean you're not black. It doesn't mean you're not Hispanic. Those things are beautiful things that we will continue to have with us even on the new earth. You know, Isaiah makes it very, very clear. Culture is something that remains. Mm. It's a Christ-centered culture, but it's still your culture. It's still your people. It's still your proud heritage. And that's, that's the beauty and the wonder of God is, you get to remain Hispanic, you get to remain African, you get to remain Middle Eastern, you get to remain, you know, a Viking or whatever it is. You yeah. just can't rape and pillage anymore. I mean, those things have to change, right? Praise God. Yeah. Um, I can keep my beard? Yeah, you can keep your All beard. Right, okay. Yeah. So, but um, culture is a beautiful thing. And so we just need to make sure, you know, at church, you know, in our, in our community groups, you know, if your community group is all white, what do you need to do to change that? Mm. Right. It's all guys. What do you need to do? Now that's not, sometimes, you know, you need an all guy group for a time or you need an all girl group for a season, but you don't want to stay there forever mm-hmm. because Christian women need to know how to relate to Christian men. And I hear this all the time. Well, there's some things that, you know, that I need to share just among guys. Well, that's true. But sometimes women need to hear that it's not just their husband who struggles. Yeah. Cause we all live in these little silos of family life. And we think, oh, it's just us that has mm-hmm. financial issues or it's just us that struggles with, you know, sex issues or pornography or, you know, anger or resentment or bitterness, or, or just, I have a crazy mother-in-law or father-in-law or whatever else it is. And so by being in real community, we, we get to love and appreciate each other. And that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I think some of it t- comes when we get just exposure to other cultures in a really beautiful way too. Yeah. One of the things when I was in India, um, a week, two weeks ago, I got to like sit, attend my first Hindi um, church service, totally non-Western, all those things. And it moved me to tears, the time of worship in ways that I have not experienced over here in a long time. Mm. And I just was thinking, man, when we get to, you know, worship in New Earth, I hope I can be in the Hindi section because yeah. this is awesome. <laughs> you know, it was so cool. Dude yeah. was playing drums on the desk and it was um, it was amazing. Yeah. It was so cool. Wow. Yeah. I also loved my worship service. Mine was a little more Western. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was there, but man, it was awesome. The sermon was awesome. The people were awesome. And I literally, there were two white people in the church of about probably five or 600. Wow. And uh, that's not true. There was four of us that were white in the church, two guys. Um, and they only gave us attention. I don't know why that was, but yeah. um, they pointed us out. So, Okay. So this is really cool because it's shift gears here. And the church of Antioch in Syria is something we're going to start hearing about in verses 19 through 21. It goes like this. Meanwhile, the believers who'd been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. I know you've been in the Middle East a lot, quite a bit. Can give us some context for that in just a second. Um, it says they preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. It sounds like these folks who are specifically traveling and reaching out to the Gentiles are like the world's first overseas missionaries. If that's the case, why don't we hear more about these guys in church history? Yeah, so Antioch fades from history about 350 uh, AD. So they're they're the center of Christianity for the first 300 years. So back to the uh, you know Roman Catholics are the oldest church. Man, yeah. our first great thinkers, our first great missionary movements, everything comes from Antioch. Antioch is the center of the modern missions movement. And it really is the center of Christian thought and thinking for the first 300 years, that in a city called Alexandria. And those two really are the centers for Christian thought Christian theology. Um, it's where ideas like the Trinitarian uh, ideas that we think about, those things become, you know, uh, real, you know, who is Solidified. Jesus? Jesus is God. Those ideas come from there. Eventually Antioch has a rival with Constantinople. It's just like Sandals Church. Why, why haven't more people heard about Sandals Church? I'll tell you why, because we're not in Los Angeles. Mm. If we were in Los Angeles, the world would know about Sandals Church. Mm. Or if we were in, um, you know, New York or mm-hmm. San Francisco, 
And the truth is, major metropolitan areas get the attention. So why is the Roman Catholic Church considered themselves the right. oldest and greatest and best church? Because they were the church that arrived where? In the New York, in the Los Angeles, in the Paris of 2000 years ago. Rome was the center of political and cultural life for the ancient world. And so the church there thought that itself was the most important. You know, those in Constantinople humbly disagreed. Those in Antioch <laughs> yeah. humbly disagreed. And those in Alexandria humbly disagreed. And ultimately that's really what led to the split. And so what happened in Rome for my Catholic brothers and sisters is the Roman bishops quit inviting the bishops from Antioch, the bishops from Constantinople and the bishops of Alexandria to participate. And they made some decisions about theology without them. And you can imagine, you know, if you're Antioch, right? And you've started this movement and your daughter church, Rome, okay? Uh, so, you know, Romans say they're the oldest church. Antioch is older than you, Rome. Mm -hmm. Your daughter church, you've excluded from this thinking and these ideas. And so um, it, really, it really is an unfortunate mm. thing. And so, um, but understand this, just like in Acts 11, the church is trying to figure out who are we, what do we think? That is an ongoing thing. So Sandals Church comes out of the, the reform movement, the Protestant movement. And, and so uh, the reformers had this idea of always reforming. We're always trying to understand and change who we are so that we can conform to who Christ is. And so there was an understanding that we need, we need to shift and we need to get back to what the Bible would have us be. Uh, Roman Catholics did not participate in that thinking and that understanding. Ultimately, they had to respond to that, but they didn't participate in that. And so Luther, uh, 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 John Calvin and, and Martin Zwingli, no one's ever heard of him. Those guys protested, but so anyways, all the way back, Antioch is probably the most important center of Christianity for a couple hundred years. Mm. And without them, we wouldn't be here. And wow. so we need to hear more about it. Um, uh, it's, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing. And what's so amazing about this, I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, America's going to hell and the world is going to hell. What's amazing is Antioch was a synonym in Roman life for like, like if you got really wild, if you went really crazy sexually, really crazy with alcohol, Romans would make fun of you by referencing the city of Antioch to your behavior. Oh, really? It was that wild. It was that crazy. So wow. Antioch was the third largest Roman city. So the first largest is Rome. Second largest is uh, Alexandria. And the third largest would have been Antioch. So another reason we don't hear about Antioch is it's sacked by the Persians, I believe in AD 540, and they never recover. So mm -hmm. they're destroyed by the Persian empire and, and they never recover. So they're one of the first uh, uh, Byzantine, that's a, a, a name for post-Roman, um, cities to to be destroyed and they really never come back. But think about this, 2000 years ago, there was 500,000 people that lived in Antioch. That's larger than Riverside and Moreno Valley put together, yeah. or maybe the close to the same size of those two cities. So think of an ancient city 2000 years ago that has as many people as probably, you know, Riverside, um, Corona and Moreno Valley. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's massive, massive city and has about 50,000, 25 to 50,000 Jews living in its context. Mm. And so that's why the gospel, once it gets out there to Gentiles, there's only 25 to 50,000 Jews there. Once the gospel hits the streets with the Gentiles, you have 475,000, 450,000 people mm -hmm. that can come to the gospel and hear about Christ. And it's just a, mo it's a motor and a train that never stops. Mm -hmm. and, and what's amazing is what the gospel shows us is that people who aren't Jewish are hungry for the gospel. Cornelius is a God fear. He doesn't want to get circumcised. You know, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to do that as an adult without anesthesia 2000 years ago. That would have been uncomfortable. <laughs> he doesn't want to completely isolate himself from his Gentile family and friends by only eating like a Jew. And he doesn't want to participate in the Sabbath, but he still loves God. Mm. And he's taught his family, the Jewish God is the right God, clearly, right? Cause you can, you can look at the Roman gods and they're funky and they're weird and they're sexual and right. It's bizarre. When you mm -hmm. look at it, you're like, this is, you know, this is like a rave. This isn't, you know, this is, this is like a, you know, this is like a Roman orgy meets, you know, mm -hmm. like a modern day rave. And they're like, this is, this is not, this cannot be spiritual. Yeah. And the Jewish God's gotta be right. But I don't, I don't want to become, you know, like a Jew and all of these people move by the thousands. So Antioch's amazing. If you've never heard of it, study it. You can Wikipedia it. It's, it's a, it's, it's an amazing place. And it's about the same distance from Jerusalem as Phoenix is from Riverside. Oh. So about 300 miles. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So to give you a perspective, that's how far these people have walked to share the gospel. Yeah. Wow. Pretty incredible. Mm. That's amazing. Yeah. So then the church at Jerusalem, here's what happens. And they send Barnabas to Antioch. 
Um, verse 22 says, he arrived, saw evidence of God's blessings, filled with joy, encourages the believers. He was a good man. I mean, Barnabas is a great guy. But then he says he goes on to Tarsus to look for Saul, who we meet, who we met a few weeks ago. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So do we know, like, time frame, how long Saul was gone, and maybe, like, what he was doing during this time? Yeah, it's really difficult, and scholars are all going to give you different opinions based upon who you ask. So what we have to do is we have to try to piecemeal the book of Acts and its timeline with Galatians. And so it's really, really difficult. Um, you know, they, they, it's really, really difficult to merge those two calendars together with the apostle Paul writes the book of Galatians and he talks about his own conversion and going to Jerusalem and how that worked out in his time in Arabia. You know, so we're not exactly sure, but there's about a 13 year period between Paul's conversion of Christ to when he is like fully operating as an apostle oh, wow. and on mission. So we're not exactly sure. What's interesting here is the Greek language really means that Barnabas went to hunt for Paul because hmm. it would have been hard to find him. You yeah. know, think about it. There's no cell phones. There's no like address. He's got he's to really work to go find this guy that, the, that was the enemy of the church who now is going to become God's greatest weapon. And so he goes to find him. And so, so I, I just would say this, nobody agrees on exactly how many years take place but it, it, it's truly amazing. And, and, and it just shows you how important it is to be an encourager and a believer that people can change. I love that about Claude's message a couple of weeks ago. Mm. People can change, you know, even today, you know, I've been a pastor and a follower of Jesus now for 24 years, passionately. I was a moron in college. I run into people in college, even professors still at CBU are like, Matt, Matt Brown, it's like 25 years ago, dude, <laughs> 25 years ago. You know, that's a quarter of a century of time has passed and they, they have a hard time believing that people can change. And what, what that really means is they really doubt the power of the gospel, mm. that the gospel can truly change and redirect someone's life. And I just love that Barnabas, who was a man of righteousness and a good man, pursued Paul so that he could disciple him, so that he could encourage him. And so ultimately people could be saved. So thank God for Barnabas's. Yeah. This uh, whole Barnabas tracking Paul down sounds like Ray's quest for Luke Skywalker. Yes, exactly. I miss your Star Wars analogies. Uh, they are. I'm not there. If we could only get me. you to study the Bible the way that you study <laughs> do, Star Wars, do a little bit of both. Okay, so uh, both Paul and Barnabas stayed with the church in Antioch for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So, talk to us about what happens there with that name, Christian. Yeah. So originally, Christians don't refer to themselves as Christians. We call ourselves brothers, you know, brothers and sisters. The idea was that we're family. Uh, they called themselves people of the way. Um, there were all kinds of descriptions that we used to describe ourselves. Originally, uh, I think Christians thought that they would just remain a part of the movement of Judaism. And that, right, so, you know, Jesus wasn't starting a separate movement. The hope was that all of the Jews would convert to this new movement and that they would become followers of Christ. The Messiah had come, their Messiah, their long-awaited Messiah, but ultimately a large percentage of the Jews rejected Jesus Christ as a Messiah. And so, you know, we talked about this um, with the question of when do I make the decision that I no longer need to disciple this person, this person's mm -hmm. unrepentant and I have to go my own way. Ultimately, Paul's going to make that decision in a couple of chapters. He's gonna say, I'm done with you guys. I've preached the gospel. I've begged you to follow Jesus. Mm. You guys continue to un be unrepentant. And now I'm gonna go full time to the Gentiles because they haven't had an opportunity to accept or reject the gospel. Yeah. And so he goes um, his own way. And so literally the term Christian became a, a, a was a term of mockery. You know, so here's these people, you know, they may have been a temple prostitute. They may have been a practicing homosexual. I mean, Paul talks about, you used to be these ways. You used to do all these things. And so, I mean, imagine if, you know, you have a gay friend and, um, you know, they're fully, you know, a supporter of the LBGT movement, you know, all that, you know, all, all in on that. And then one day they're like, yeah, I'm not going to have sex anymore uh, because I've become a follower of Christ. You'd be like, what? And so, you know, not everybody's going to receive that. I have, I have a friend that was gay and when he converted it, his friends teased him and made mm -hmm. fun of him mm -hmm. for, for a long period of time. And that's what the word Christian is. They're making fun of him. Oh, you, you want to be like, you want to be like a little Jesus. You're a little Christ. Mm. And, um, or you, you've taken on the name of Christ. Like it almost became your last name. Like Jesus Christ is of Nazareth. I would be Matt Brown of Christ. Mm. And so literally it became like a fam, a familial name. I mean, imagine that if we all changed our last names to, to Christian or Christ. And, and so they teased him. And so that's where the name comes from. It was a term of mockery that ultimately became the name that stuck. And it's only mentioned, the, the word Christian, 
Uh, now, in, if you use the NLT, you'll see Christian all the time, but it's translating brothers and sisters as Christians. Mm. In the actual Greek, the word Christian appears three times, twice in Acts and once in Peter. That's it. Mm. So it's pretty powerful. And now we, we all just assume that we've always been, always been called Christians, but it was a name that was used to make fun of us and it stuck. Mm. So, Okay, so we got two last questions here as we wrap this up um, in verses 27 through 30. Yeah, these verses say, During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus, your fifth child. Such a good name, such a tough, I love that name too. strong manly name. Stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. That's another great name. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. So this next question comes from Kara. She says, the church seems to have accepted Agabus' prophecy and responded well by sending relief to believers in Judea. What is the role of prophecy in the church today? And should we still expect to receive prophetic words like this from other believers? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about what prophecy is. Typically prophecy is what you are hearing on Sundays or Saturdays when you come. So prophecy is the spoken word of God in an authoritative manner. So when you come to church, I'm opening God's word and I'm speaking prophetically to you about what God is saying. Here's what's happening. However- That could be confusing because I think most people think of prophecy as like future telling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That, that's a part of it. But that's, that's a smaller part of it and fewer okay. people have that gift. And you, you will see that throughout scripture is, so when, when um, Peter talks about how scripture was written, it says that men spoke prof prophetically by the utterance of the Holy Spirit. That's where scripture comes from. So it's not a future telling, unless you're looking at like the book of Revelations, it is a telling of what God says. And so that's what prophecy ultimately means okay. is, this is, this is what God says. And so that's why the role of the prophet in the Old Testament, sometimes it was about right future judgment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God is gonna bring judgment on you. But the point is not the telling of the future that's fixed, right? The future is not fixed because if you repent, this can be avoided. You, you don't have to experience this judgment. And so the prophet speaks against the people's sins so that they will change. Just like, you know, the prophet, um, um, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah or even Jonah, he prophetically speaks to the people of Nineveh and they repent and change and, and, and avoid judgment for a period of time. So, but there's also a gift of prophecy that is like what Agabus has. And this is rare, very, very rare. And we need to be very, very careful. Agabus is a legit dude. He legitimately has the gift of God. Now here's what's important. It's not foretelling like, you know, you go to a fortune teller, we need to stay away from those things. And here's, here's what's amazing is the gift may not be just something that Christians have. Hmm. Other people may have this gift. And so the Bible says we need to not trust non-believers who have this gift, but the Holy Spirit also manifests this gift in the lives of people who can literally see the future. Hmm. And this guy, Agabus is legit. We're gonna hear about him in a couple of chapters when he prophesies over Paul that if you go to Jerusalem, you will be bound and you will be led to your death. And ultimately that's what happens. Hmm. Paul is bound, he is arrested, and ultimately he dies for the sake of the gospel. And here's how you can tell a, a prophet of God is they're always right. Hmm. When they're not right, they're not from God. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so sad. So many religions today follow prophets who've clearly been wrong yeah. so many times in so many ways. And they always try to adjust the prophecy, you know, like the end of the world's Tuesday yeah. and then Tuesday comes and it's like, well, we gotta, we gotta recalculate. Agabus doesn't need to recalculate. He says a famine is coming and we need to prepare. And history tells us that there were huge droughts all throughout the Roman empire under the reign of this emperor at this time. So Luke says, look, he, pro he prophesied it and it happened. Mm. And the people in Jerusalem needed the money. So it's the ability to see the future. We see this in the book of Revelation as John in a vision is, is, is shown the future. The apostle Paul also has this in the book of Corinthians when he says he was taken up to the third heaven and he says, I saw things that I cannot even share with you. Mm. And so they see things that are not yet going to, to happen. Uh, clearly Jesus had this gift. He foretold the future, talked about what was gonna happen. He predicted the fall of Jerusalem and the sacking of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. He saw all of these things. So, you know, for God, the future is not something that's fantastic. It's something that he sees clearly mm. and he can speak that to his people. Wow. We need to be very, very careful. Um, you know, uh, there's a thing called itinerant prophets. You know what that means? Itinerant means traveling, traveling, around. traveling. And so we gotta be very, very careful. We've had those at Sandals, you know, you know, God has led me. And if I don't know him, I don't wanna hear from him. 
you know, because we operate according to, you know, our church leadership, our structure, our people. And if God wants to speak to us, I believe that he's gonna speak through the church. Mm. And so we, we don't allow, sometimes they're weird. And, and a lot of times weird people think they're prophets. So you just gotta be careful. Um, but God, you know, God spoke prophetically to me, you know, literally, you know, 20 years ago, started church. Mm. Think about Think about that, right? No money, no support, yeah. nothing. And, and here's the vision, you need to be real. That's it, do that. I'm gonna bless you. You know, and people always ask me, well, did you ever imagine? Yes, <laughs> yes. I, I, I believe that God would do something great. I believe that God was gonna do something great. Even when people told me, why does Riverside need another church? I had people tell me that. Mm -hmm. You know, I went to the, one of the wealthiest Christians in Riverside for support. And they told me, Riverside doesn't need another church. Mm. It's like, are you kidding me? Wow. Mm. And so, you know, and, and, and so, and, and just, you know, Agabus doesn't prophesy all the time, occasionally, he gets a word from the Lord. Even the prophets don't prophesy all the time. So it's not like, you know, you sit in your corner in a yoga position doing ohms going, <laughs> let me hear a word from you. And that's why it gets weird. Yeah. You know, what we predominantly wanna hear from is the word of God. And occasionally God's gonna give us a vision and God's gonna speak to us directly. And, um, you know, we need, to hear, we need to hear from that. But yeah, it's a real gift. It really happens. Hmm. I wonder if Agabus has a track record at this point, which is of like speaking truth kind of like this, which if that's part of the reason why the church responds in such a way. Yeah. Cause it and, seems and I pretty... think Luke is writing about him because people probably still have heard of this guy. Yeah. Mm. He still, he still has a name. Cause remember he's writing years and years after these events took place. So people, people have heard of Agabus uh -huh. and, and you gotta remember these people don't have scripture yet. That's what I was gonna say. So they need to hear from God all the time because they don't know what to do. So all these Gentiles get saved, you know, it's like, Hey, um, can I continue to have sex with the uh, temple prostitute? Well, First Corinthians hadn't been written yet yeah. where he says, no, you can't do that. Cause can, can Christ be joined with a prostitute? No, don't stop doing that. And they're like, oh, mm. they didn't know because they're not Jews. Yeah. So they, they don't know the teachings of Moses and the law that you're not to participate in those things. And you know, they were Greeks, they were Romans. And so they needed prophets to speak truth to them about the word of God on a regular basis. Okay, last question here, uh, coming from the very end of our chapter. This they did, which is talking about sending uh, off the relief to support their brothers and sisters in the famine. This they did, uh, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in, the, in Jerusalem. So is Saul fully loved and trusted at this point in the story? Is the, you know, his reputation as a murderer right. just gone? Right, so what this is, is this is, this is Luke casually introducing the new leaders of the church because Paul is going to become the leader of the church. He's not an apostle, but you're gonna see a transition is taking place. We're gonna, in a couple of weeks, we're gonna to get to Jerusalem and we're gonna see that the leaders in Jerusalem are not the 12 apostles. There's a new guy on the scene whose name is James, the half brother of Jesus, who is known as James the Just. And he becomes literally the, the, the key spiritual leader in Jerusalem. So there's a transition that's taking place. God has used his apostles to spread the word of God and now the church is leading people to Christ. People are coming to Christ and there's new leadership that's coming up to take, you know, the church where it, it needs to go. And, uh, you know, again, it's interesting, our Catholic brothers and sisters, Rome is the oldest church based upon the foundation of Peter. It's interesting when we get to Jerusalem, Peter's not the one who decides, it is James. Mm. James is clearly the leader of the church. Jerusalem at that point, not Antioch, Jerusalem is the center of the gospel. Mm. And so ultimately that will change as predominantly more and more Gentiles come to know Christ um, because there's just more Gentiles in the world than there are Jews. Jews are a very, very small right. population of people. But yeah, it, it's, it's, it's literally um, an amazing thing here. He's just casually introducing them and Paul and Barnabas are now entrusted as not the leader, but leaders of the gospel. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm just kind of I'm just thinking about and imagining all that must have happened in that in the yeah. transition time for Paul to have like this major moment with God and then just go sit and who knows was he working was he whatever well in Galatians it says he went into Arabia he went into the desert for like three years yeah uh, yeah we're not exactly sure three years in the desert but it's a period of thirteen years yeah I think you're right three years in the desert so he, you know he had, he had to grow seeking the Lord yeah and seeking the Lord it's just like Jesus went into the desert for forty days Paul had a lot to repent of mm. yeah I mean he think about it he he just found out not only is he on the wrong team but he's been killing God's people yeah and Jesus says. Not only are you killing God's people, but you're killing me. Mm. Why are you persecuting me? So that's something to work through, mm -hmm. you know? It's gonna Those take some, some time. You need some counseling time with God in the desert. Soul care. Yeah. Cool.
Hey, well, this has been a great episode. Melody, thank you for uh, joining yeah. us here. Friends, if you've got questions that are coming up, I have a whole bunch of questions about Peter and James and that relationship that I'll probably save. And if you guys have some, uh, I'll use your questions instead of mine. Uh, we'd love to get those here on the show. Just head on over to our Facebook page. Uh, go to Facebook, search for The Debrief, send us a message. And you can also go to sandalschurch.com slash the debrief and click the big red ask a question button and of course we'd love 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 for you to leave us a five-star review in the itunes store or continue to tell your friends to listen to the podcast like our good friend winfish and his wife over there in yeah in hawaii, hawaii. love you yes okay melody stephanie yes. always closes out the show with an inspirational quote we have asked you to uh pick up the mantle of inspiration it's Can a big you... mantle it's like thor's hammer it's yeah. difficult yes, Hulk tried to pick it up but he couldn't <laughs> So exactly. let's see how you do. You must be virtuous to uh, make this happen. Okay, I feel the pressure. Let's. let's I hear. feel the pressure for you. <laughs> Pastor just, Matt, you, you get ready. We're going to hear your I thoughts just, on this. I quote. just want you to know that I ran this past my husband, who is very intellectually yeah. wise. Yeah, Adam the wise. Yes, and Adam the good looking, and Adam the beautiful. Preach. He Adam the beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> and he thought it was really good. So, All right. Um, there are no traffic jams along the extra mile. Whoa, I do like that. And it's somewhat biblical. Great job. Yay. Somewhat yes. biblical? Because yeah. Jesus says Jesus said, go, go the extra mile. mile. Right. Mm-hmm. So not yeah. a lot of people follow Jesus. No. Is that, that's the point of that quote? Yeah. Yeah. Obedience is not as easy as we think. That sounds kind of discouraging when you put it that way. Thanks, Melody. Hey, <laughs> I tried my best. I was it up was late, somewhat guys. inspirational and discouraging at the same time. <laughs> Motivational and convicting. Well done. <laughs> she filled Stephanie's seat yes. perfectly in that place. Tammy says I'm good at God guilt. So. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh, I like hello. that. Yeah, that's because that's you put fun in fundamental. <laughs> True. <laughs>